Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast providing in-depth analysis and coverage of your favorite Milwaukee Brewers by Peter and David Go. Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, our final episode here before we kick off opening day for the 2021 season. I'm your host, Peter Go. excited as always, uh, but extra excited today, uh, last episode of the offseason. And finally, getting into a full preview, uh, the preceding episodes have been breaking down uh, parts of the Brewers roster, but today we're really looking at what is effectively the Brewers finalized opening day roster, which it's really stocked full of a lot of young talent or, or as young controllable talent, as David Stearns like to say. Um, and we're going to break that down uh, further and, and t- just talk about uh, some of the bright spots and things to be looking out for uh, in the Brewers roster, as well as taking a look at um, what we can expect from the NL Central, uh, the National League, and, and just baseball in general. We've got our World Series uh, predictions, as well as uh, Brewers awards, including MVP Cy Young Rookie of the Year. Uh, and we'll just jump right into quick random player of the day for today. Uh, today's random player of the day, Yolis Chassin. It was only two years ago that Chassin started on opening day for the Brewers. Feels like a really long time ago, but he did have a really solid 2018, had a three and a half ERA, 15 wins, led the league with 35 starts that year, 192 and two thirds innings, really did a nice job. Even though he didn't have high strikeout totals, 156 Ks and 192 innings is Definitely lower than average, even for a starting pitcher, but did a pretty good job of limiting hard contact, uh, limiting the long ball a little bit. Only 18 home runs in that amount of innings is pretty good, especially at Miller Park. Chasin, I thought, did a really nice job. And I, I remember in 2018, in Game 7 of the NLCS, they decided to start Chasin because he had been their best starter. He allowed a two-run shot to Bellinger in the second inning. I know then they decided to bring in Hayter after that. Uh, I was a little bit skeptical about them choosing to start Chassin because they had a lot of good arms that were available in the bullpen. Not only did they have Hayter, but they had Jeffress, they had Knable, they had Woodruff. Um, I think Burns was out for that game. I think he had pitched a decent amount in game six. Uh, but I would have almost preferred to have them just basically bullpen. And Chassin's more of a, a pitcher where He's really good to have in the regular season or maybe your three or four starter in a playoff series and hopefully get like five innings, one or two runs out of him. Not a guy when you really need to shut down the Dodgers offense. Uh, I thought it was a little bit of a questionable call, but I don't know if I'd necessarily say it was the wrong one. He had a really successful year that year with the Brewers, though. 2019, not so much. 5-7-9 ERA in 88 innings. Ended up being released before he signed with Boston. Made a, a couple appearances with Atlanta last year. Now with the Yankees. Uh, I don't think he's going to make their opening day roster. Um, he pitched nine and a third innings in spring training, but really just primarily recently, a f- uh, one good year, 2018, three and a half ERA for the Brewers NLCS participant team. Yolis Chassin, today's random player of the day. Yeah, in 2018, he really was exceptional and was kind of that old school work workhorse number one starter, you know, take the ball every five days, uh, pitch well into the game, sixth, seventh inning, um, just got a lot of outs. It was just basically a, a solid outgetter for the Brewers in 2018 and was definitely disappointed as a Brewer fan uh, with this 2019 showing and pretty much just kind of fallen off uh, the face of the planet after that 2018 year. Uh, so we'll see if he's able to 
make any more of an impact in the major leagues going forward, or that may be sort of the, uh, the highlight of the end of his career for him. Uh, but nonetheless, like you said, only 2018 that Chassin was the Brewers uh, opening day starter. And I do remember that distinctly, that game seven game that we were at and uh, the two run shot that was a, a bit of a heartbreaker in and of itself, but Definitely, Brewers had some options there. Went with Chassin. Like you said, I don't necessarily fault him. He was, you know, the old saying, you know, go with what got you there sort of thing. Um, whether or not that was the right decision in the moment, who knows. But nonetheless, oh, that will wrap up our uh, Joe Lee's Chassin coverage for today's episode. And uh, let's just jump right into uh, looking at the major leagues as a whole. Uh, first, looking at the two primary awards, the MVP and the Cy Young Award. So, David, who's your pick for the National League Most Valuable Player? My pick is Juan Soto. Uh, he's, of course, one of the young, good position players in the game today. People are already comparing him to Ted Williams. Soto's only 21, 22 years old, uh, and he has won a World Series, uh, was, I think, runner-up for Rookie of the Year a couple of years ago, and quite possibly is the best hitter in baseball. Watching him hit, uh, of course, not fun when he's facing the Brewers, especially when he's facing Hayter in the eighth inning of the NL wildcard game. But he's an outstanding hitter, and really I think that he could retire as one of the greatest hitters of all time. He's only 22, so it's early to say that. Uh, but I think he's the best hitter in baseball right now, maybe even better than Mike Trout, uh, starting off the episode with a hot take. Uh, but I think Juan Soto will be the MVP over guys like Betts or Tatis or Acuna even. What, who would be your pick for NL MVP? Yeah, a lot of good bats in the National League, uh, even with Mike Trout obviously being on the, in the American League side. I'm going to go with uh, another young player um, who's shown a little bit more consistency over his young career, but Ronald Acuna Jr. Um, possibly we could see maybe a 40-40 Maybe even a 50-50 season. That would be that would be fun. Uh, who was the last player to, to do that? Was 50, that did Soriano? Did Soriano do 50-50 or did he do 40-40? No, Soriano did 40-40. Nobody's ever done 50-50. No one. That's right. That's right. So uh, yeah, that would be that would be that'd be something. Obviously, does that that doesn't make him the MVP in and of itself, but it would be a cool stat uh, to be able to have. And I, I, I could see Acuna Jr. Um, having a good year. Braves, of course, still looking to uh, compete in the NL East as well. So Ronald Acuna Jr., my pick uh, for the National League MVP. And I don't think he's getting as much coverage. Uh, I know I've seen a lot about Juan Soto. And like you said, there's still Cody Bellinger, uh, Tatis Jr., Machado. So a lot of good big bats in the National League, but one of those uh, likely ending up with the uh, MVP. Yeah, and then who would be your pick for AL MVP? Should I should I go with the, uh, the, the cliche Mike Trout answer? I feel like one of us has to, so I might as well go... Uh, and, and go with Mike Trout. And maybe this is the year that we finally see the Angels uh, take a step forward. And, and uh, We've said that for the last, like, six years. <laughs> that, is a, that is a fair statement. But we, uh, we haven't seen a, a, a healthy Shohei Otani either. True. So, so we'll see. I mean, I, I really hope – I mean, I'm not necessarily a, an Angels fan. I think at this point everybody's kind of rooting for the Angels just because they want to see Trout uh, get some playoff experience, really, and show what he can do uh, at that level. But – I do hope that he uh, can pair up with uh, Red Doe and Otani for a, a dangerous offensive trio. Um, it just would be fun to watch, and hopefully the Angels are able to pull out the AL West or at a minimum make some noise in the playoffs this year because uh, it's definitely something that's missing off of Mike Trout's resume. Yeah, well, and don't forget about the dangerous bat of Albert Pujols at this point too. That's right. That's right. Uh, Justin Upton, uh, another uh, – he's only 33, I think. 
maybe 34. Yeah, that's, which is crazy. I know. This is his 15th year, actually, in the big leagues. But um, but my pick is going to be actually a guy that you just mentioned. A little bit of a dark horse candidate is going to be Shohei Otani. Uh, we'll see if he can stay healthy this year. But uh, what he can do with uh, with on both sides of the ball, uh, going back in 2018, he was worth about four wins above replacement. And that was only making 10 starts and 367 plate appearances. I think he'll if he stays healthy, he'll probably get about 22 starts maybe and about 400 plate appearances. I think it's pretty reasonable to expect he'll still be a very good hitter. He had a down year last year, but I think he will resume being a very good hitter. Uh, hits the ball really hard. Doesn't strike out a ton. I mean, it's, it's around average, but he's got excellent power, excellent speed. And then as, as far as being a pitcher, when he's on, he's untouchable. And he dealt with injuries later on in the 2018 season on the mound that hurt his numbers a little bit. Tried to see if he could maybe uh, make a return from a partially torn UCL without requiring Tommy John surgery. I think he allowed like five runs in two innings. So that ballooned his ERA a little bit, but probably has the most electrifying stuff in the American League. I think that when you combine the stuff on the mound and the bat, Shohei Otani is my prediction for AL MVP. Yeah, certainly if he's able to stay healthy, it's another number one thing. I think at minimum expectations is at least an all-star level pitcher. Um, and really, from what it seems, he could be a top five pitcher and potentially the top five hitter, theoretically, um, which would just be absurd. Uh, so I, I, it, you're talking about Soto being a, a potential one of the best hitters of all time. I mean, you talk about somebody who could have the potential to be one of the best of all time. You talk about somebody who's one of the best in the world at hitting and one of the best in the world at pitching. Uh, I think fans just hope that he's able to stay on the field and we can get a glimpse of that um, at least this year. So certainly a story to watch going forward. Uh, moving back over to the National League, uh, who is your pick for the National League Cy Young? This is going to be a boring one. You went with the boring one with Trout, and I'm going to have to go with Jacob deGrom. Showed up to spring training throwing 102 miles an hour this year. Uh, he somehow seems to get a, get a little bit more velo every year. Outstanding command. I mean, it, it, untouchable stuff. I mean, 100, 101 mile an hour fastballs, 93 mile an hour sliders dotted, got some uh, change up and uh, good off speed overall. There's really, I, I mean, there, I feel like a lot has to go wrong for DeGrom not to win the Cy Young. I know there's some excellent pitchers in the National League. I mean, there's Kershaw and Bueller and um, Trevor Bauer, of course, in L.A. And even Woodruff, Luis Castillo uh, in Cincinnati, Jack Flaherty. But uh, I do think that DeGrom will be the Cy Young Award winner. And also they have a better team this year, Lindor up the middle. Uh, I mean, DeGrom's been running ERA's sub two, and that's with among the worst up the middle defense in the major leagues. Uh, now you have Lindor at short, who's one of the best defensively. Uh, that could, I mean... It's hard to say that he'll have a better ERA yet. I think a 1-7 ERA two years ago. Uh, but could it improve? It's possible. Uh, and you would hope that his win total improves also. I mean, I think in his last 76 starts, the Mets are 36 and 40 when DeGrom starts. And he DeGrom has like a 2.1 ERA. Uh, so, I mean, you would think <clears throat> you would think that the win total would maybe help him even if it's just a little bit. Uh, so my pick is Jacob deGrom. I think he's maybe the runaway choice in that race. Yeah, I agree. I think he's a, he's the tier one 
uh, kind of on his own level in the National League as far as starting pitchers go. Uh, kind of that tier two, some of the some of those guys you mentioned, Walker Bueller, Hugh Darvish, Clayton Kershaw, Scherzer, Trevor Bauer after his 2020 season, you could put in that um, in that tier as well. Personally, for, for myself, I'm going to go with another uh, tried and true arm, Max Scherzer. I, I still think he's got a lot left in the tank uh, over in Washington. And who knows, maybe he and Soto can uh, can clean up those two big awards with the Cy Young and MVP. And maybe, maybe we see the Nationals uh, taking that division. But I, I still think Scherzer's got a lot in the tank and uh, has proven it over time. So Max Scherzer uh, is my pick if I have to go outside of DeGrom. Because like you said, I, I think DeGrom is, is the easy pick either injuries or something madly goes wrong. Um, but like you said, he, he is at his own level. Uh, actually, while we're on the Jacob deGrom subject, uh, do you see deGrom as a on a Hall of Fame trajectory at this point? Uh, do you see him as, you know, retires after this year? Is he a Hall of Famer? Where do you see his career standing in that regard? I do think that he is on a Hall of Fame trajectory. He hasn't even pitched 10 years in the big leagues yet, so he wouldn't even be eligible if he retired after this year. Of course, we're not going to see that. But if he does win the Cy Young Award this year, next year, and years to, years to come, that'll be his third. And uh, Jacob deGrom would be, if he doesn't make the Hall of Fame, then the only three-time Cy Young Award winner outside of PED guys to not be in the Hall of Fame. I know he doesn't have the volume that a lot of those guys had. I mean, like Greg Maddox, of course, pitched 22 years in the big leagues. Kershaw's pitched 13-14 now. Uh, DeGrom won't get to that level, but I do think that he still is on a Hall of Fame trajectory because of his peak and winning three signing awards, I think is, uh, I don't know if I'd say unparalleled, uh, but I mean, you're in a very exclusive company when you do that. And I think that I think we can really expect that to happen at this point. It is interesting that they have the 10-year rule in the Hall of Fame, and that's regardless of whether you're a pitcher or a position player, because it certainly is a lot harder to attain that as a starting pitcher or even a relief pitcher for that matter than it is as a position player. I don't know if that if would make sense to alter that rule in any way, but it seems a little bit unfair to have that um, rule go both ways. Uh, I don't know, but I, I certainly would agree that three Cy Youngs, would, you'd have a hard time um, arguing against a guy like Jacob deGrom getting to the Hall of Fame. But anyways, a uh, little bit of a rabbit trail uh, there. But nonetheless, Jacob deGrom expecting uh, big things for from deGrom. Uh, switching over back to the American League uh, final predic prediction here on the award side of things, who is your AL uh, Cy Young Award? My AL Cy Young Award pick is Hyunjin Ryu. Uh, Chain Bieber ran away with it last year, but... Ryu's posted three straight years now of a sub three ERA. He now plays for Toronto where um, they've got a very good team. They've got a young up and coming ball club that I think could maybe gain some attention for Ryu. Uh, he is a little bit on the older side. He's entering his age 34 season, but they did improve their defense. They added Springer, um, which should help. And I think that Ryu is like, I, he's so underrated, I feel like, that um, is he's kind of like he was a what a second or third place finish in the Cy Young uh, in the National League a few years ago. Uh, I think that I think that Ryu will actually take that step and win the American League Cy Young this year. Uh, who's your pick for AL Cy Young? Yeah, obviously, we expect another good year from Shane Bieber. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with a little bit more of a boring pick again, but uh, have to go with Garrett Cole, who previously has uh, won the Cy Young Award as well. But again, 
uh, kind of similar to Scherzer. He's been doing it for a while, not 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 as long as Scherzer, but proven himself. Uh, obviously, the big contract with the Yankees, and I do expect the Yankees to have a better year this year. Again, we kind of say that every year too, as you're talking about the Angels. But I, I can't ex- imagine that the uh, pace that the injuries have been occurring, as far as the offensive side of things, at least, will continue for the Yankees. And I do see them putting some things together. Um, and I think Garrett Cole will be a big reason for that. So Garrett Cole um, is my pick uh, for the Cy Young Award, but certainly interesting to hear Hyunjung Ryu. I have not heard that predict- prediction myself uh, elsewhere. So you heard it here first, uh, if that if that does uh, come true, because I don't think he's on the radar um, of, of everyone at this point. So let's take a look uh, at now the Brewers opening day roster. Like I said here at the beginning, uh, not quite formally uh, announced, but pretty much can extrapolate what we're going to be expecting from the Brewers' uh, 26-man roster. So let's start things off here with the starting rotation. Heading up the rotation is Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Adrian Hauser, Brett Anderson, and Freddie Peralta. Uh, Interesting to note, Peralta getting that fifth starting role over Josh Lindblom. What did you think about that, David? I liked it, actually. I think a lot of people weren't a fan of that, but I do think Freddie Peralta has very high upside. And also, David Stearns did note that probably at some point in April, they are going to employ a six-man rotation. I think that they're just kind of going to use the off days to their advantage earlier on in the year. So that's probably why they're going to start with a five-man rotation. I know start right away, and they have a day off on Friday. So they play Thursday, day off Friday. Uh, And then just the following week, same thing, because Cardinals home opener on Thursday, April 8th, got another off day, the 15th, the 22nd. So probably by the end of that month, then we will see Lindblom make a start. And, of course, it's possible that one of the pitchers goes down with an injury. Uh, I don't think they'd move somebody to the bullpen as soon as the middle of April, but I do think it's possible that someone gets hurt. Uh, I think that Lynn Bloom and Peralta are both very intriguing arms in the rotation. Peralta added a slider. He also added a changeup, although the slider is better than the changeup right now. Uh, so he does have a fastball-curveball combination. Add in the slider, and it gives him a third pitch. He'd always He's been like 80% fastballs, 20% curveballs as a starter, which usually then by the time you get to third time around, you're getting hammered uh, by pretty much any offense. So even though Peralta does have a very good fastball and curveball, uh, he wasn't really able to make it past fourth, fifth inning, or even sometimes the first. He would always struggle with the first inning, and I'm not exactly sure what that was or what the reasoning was behind that, but hopefully he can put that behind him. Uh, I actually made the bold prediction that Freddie Peralta will be an all-star this year. I think he's got the upside uh, now that he has another weapon in his arsenal with the slider. Uh, as well as maybe the changeup that he might use in games, at least a little bit, keep the hitters honest. Uh, I do think that Freddie Peralta will take that next step. He got an electric arm, uh, outstanding young pitcher. I do think that it was actually a good move to put Freddie Peralta in the rotation, although I am excited to see Lynn Bloom there as well at some point. Yeah, like you said, uh, we're, we're going to see some injuries. We do every year, and in 2021, uh, we will likely even see additional injuries on top of what's normal. So, I agree. There, there's really no way that Lindblom doesn't get into the rotation, um, whether that's just when the Brewers lose the amount of off days that they have uh, initially or through some form of injury. Uh, we also have a pitcher named Brett Anderson who has some form of history uh, getting injured, always seems to uh, get injured at some point during the year. If, if he if he throws about 20 starts, it's it's a pretty successful year for him. Uh, so certainly expect to see Lindblom. Um, and, and yeah, like you said, Peralta, uh, I'm excited to see him in the rotation. I was 
initially pretty hesitant to bring him in the rotation because it just seemed like every year we were asking the same question and kind of getting the same results. But it seems like we have a he's got the different mix that everybody's been talking about, and that'll be put to the test. And we'll see if, like you said, if he can get through the first inning. Uh, and if he can get through the first inning, then if he can get through second or third time through as well. Uh, but the ceiling is is very high for Peralta. And if he is able to step up, have even close to an all-star caliber season, you talk about Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta. We talked about those three young arms the Brewers were looking forward to a couple of years ago. And you could be seeing the three of them atop the rotation uh, in 2021, which would be pretty exceptional. So uh, certainly some excitement to see from the Brewers starting rotation. Uh, don't need to touch on Woodruff or Burns too much, uh, but certainly uh, looking forward to the Brewers starting rotation. Uh, taking a look at the bullpen, uh, headed by uh, now announced closer Josh Hader, Devin Williams, Brent Suter, Eric Yardley, Drew Rasmussen, uh, Josh Lindblom, who we were just talking about, and J.P. Fireisen. Craig Council actually recently announced that Josh Hader will be taking a more traditional closer role, uh, contrary to uh, what he has been sort of known for over the last couple of years, especially in his early years coming in as in wherever the Brewers needed him and uh, just pretty much coming in and shutting down whenever the Brewers needed him. Interesting to, to put him in that closer role. Uh, Brewers seem a little bit more confident in who they have around him. What are your thoughts on moving Josh Hader to that traditional closing role? I know you touched on that a little bit last week, but uh, can you share your thoughts a little bit on that? If you would have told me that a couple of years ago, I would have been a little bit skeptical and really prefer that he be used in more high leverage situations, but I think it actually might be better in the long run. It is a little bit tougher to come in in a high leverage situation every time or most of the time. And of course, closing is high leverage too. So it's not like we're just using him in mop up duty or something like that. Uh, but I think it protects him long term because you have to make a lot more high stress pitches when you come in with first and second one out, bases loaded, nobody out, uh, and maybe he's in the seventh inning versus starting an inning clean. It's a lot different. I think also because Hader can be prone to the walks and the long ball, it makes it a little bit more difficult when you got guys on. So uh, if he comes in uh, in the ninth to protect a two-run lead, allows a leadoff home run, well, they're still up one, and he still probably will be able to hold off the opposing team versus first and second and one out, and he allows a home run to the first batter probably not up by three runs uh, or more than three runs if he's coming in in that situation. Makes it a little bit tougher. Um, his home run per nine was, I think, close to two um, over the last two years. So uh, it's a little bit high. But uh, and I think it also saves him long term because it's a little bit easier to be in a more traditional closers role, knows what to expect going into the game, can prepare a little bit better, save his arm long term and probably a few fewer innings uh, than he would pitch if you were going one to two innings every few days. Yeah, certainly less stress on on Hayter and could impact his future as well. Who do you see coming in then taking that role now that Hayter is, seems to be moving out of that role? We're moving Freddie Peralta to the rotation for now. And those two guys were both guys that would come in in some of those situations middle to late of the game. Is that something that you see Brent Suter coming in for, Drew Rasmussen, another arm? I think it could be Rasmussen. I think Devin Williams is is the obvious guy right now. Of course, you, you usually want more than one of those pitchers. Devin Williams was even being used in that role towards the end of last year. He was going two innings at a time sometimes. Uh, and Williams has really impressed in the limited time he pitched in spring training, of course, coming off one of the best relief seasons of all time, even in a shortened season. So I think it's it's 
fairly reasonable to expect Williams to be very good again, especially if not like his changeups going anywhere. I think I mentioned that on last week's episode. He's still a, a very good pitcher. It's, I mean, maybe he will. I, he'll probably regress some, but I don't think he'll come crashing back to earth or anything like it was just an extended hot streak. Uh, so I think Williams will probably fulfill that role the most. Rasmussen could. I think he'll be eased into it a little bit more. They've been preparing him for that role in spring training. He's been going two, three innings at a time, even starting games sometimes and going about three innings. Uh, but I don't think they'll depend on him like that right away. Uh, he still impressed to some degree last year in his limited time, but he also didn't like wow everyone. He didn't turn heads. He still had an ERA up near six. So even though it was a limited sample size, it's not like he came in and dominated at the major league level. Still young, uh, still a, a rookie. So I think Rasmussen probably is more likely to start as more of a middle reliever going two innings at a time and then maybe develop into that high leverage uh, reliever. As for Suter, I don't think he's as much suited for that. I think he's more of a guy that you bring in clean inning in the sixth and ride him sixth, seventh inning, uh, lower pitch count. To me, it's, at least this is probably just my perception watching it, but it seems like Brent Suter doesn't do as well when he comes in with runners on. And that might be partly because he's been a starter his whole career up until the last year and a half. So uh, with that being said, uh, he's also more, well, I guess takeout last year when he had a case per nine rate of 10.8. He's usually more of a ground ball, weak contact pitcher. Uh, so that also presumably will make it a little bit tougher for him to be a high leverage reliever coming in with runners on base. Uh, so in short, I would say Devin Williams, most likely candidate to come in in a lot of high leverage situations before the ninth. Uh, Rasmussen could take that as the year progresses. It may be a little bit of Brent Suter. Yeah, everybody excited to see that Brewer's strong bullpen and uh, excited to see how that rides out in the air. Uh, let's take a look at the, the Brewers around the diamond here. Uh, behind the dish, of course, Omar Narvaez returning after the tough year last year. Uh, the strong defensive catcher, Manny Pena. And then uh, the addition, new addition, Colton Wong over at second. Uh, Urias, Travis Shaw, Dan Vogelbach, Orlando Arcia, Daniel Robertson, and Keston Hira. Uh, who of the Brewers infielders you see as uh, a potential player to make the biggest jump uh, going to the 2021 season? I think Keston Hira, I think he'll have a big bounce back year. He had a pretty rough year, even though he did lead the Brewers in hits and home runs, I think, uh, and strikeouts. Uh, he had a, a little bit of a rough year in 2020, sophomore slump. Um, so I take it with a grain of salt. Uh, and it was a shortened season again. I mean, about 250 plate appearances. Uh, I do think that here will bounce back, maybe not to the hitter he was his rookie year. I think that was a little bit unsustainable. Uh, he's Pretty much everything was falling for him. A lot of home runs were carrying out of the ballpark. But I do think Keston here is still an excellent hitter. He's hit everywhere he's gone, got excellent bat speed, really sees the ball well, even though his strikeout numbers are a little bit high, hits the ball really hard. I think that Keston here is probably the biggest hitter to watch uh, among that group. How about Dan Vogelbach and Daniel Robertson, uh, both potential people that we've talked about in the past, whether or not they were going to make the roster. Uh, what did they do in spring training or what did they not do in spring training to, to uh, arrive them at the, the opening day roster? Yeah, Vogelbach produced pretty well. He hit, uh, he showed up in, I don't know if I'd say better shape, but he, he looked at least stronger maybe. Um, and I think that having a, a big bat off the bench really helps. It's not like they had a clear, uh, clear, 
picture of who is going to be on the bench. They have a lot of positional versatility from their other guys, and I think that permitted them to carry Vogelbach on the roster. I think also now with 26 guys on the roster instead of 25, that could have proved to be the difference. I really didn't think that Vogelbach was going to make the roster, but it looks like he will now. Our council announced that he would. It's also possible we see him like G-Man Choi, who uh, made the opening day roster a few years ago, and then um, I think he hit like a game-tying single or something in opening day and got optioned out uh, the next day. So Vogelbach's out of options. I don't think we'd see something that quickly, but I do think that his leash is probably a little bit quicker than someone like Shaw or even Arcia. Um, and then Daniel Robertson, I think, really displayed his positional versatility. Uh, he performed adequately enough to make the ball club, but he also can play pretty much anywhere in the infield and outfield, maybe except for center field. So that's going to prove to be valuable, especially Arcia really just plays in the infield. They've got four strictly outfielders. So to have Robertson, who can kind of move all over, I think that will prove valuable, especially Council loves positional versatility, as does pretty much every every baseball manager now. Uh, so I think that's probably the main ticket that uh, earned Robertson his way onto a big league roster. And he's only a few years removed from uh, a 2.5 win above replacement season. So it's not like he's never had success at the major league level like Mark Mathias or Tim Lopes. Uh, he has had some success, and I think the Brewers are hoping he can replicate that. Yeah, you mentioned Vogelbach coming back a little bit stronger. I couldn't help but uh, think of the uh, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel article uh, that I saw written uh, yesterday on the 30th uh, about uh, COVID vaccines that if you have a pre-existing condition, you'd, you were eligible for the, the COVID vaccine in Wisconsin, uh, which include a high level of BMI. Uh, so just quick tangent. Uh, the the article talked about how BMI levels of 30 or, or above are considered obese and 25 to 29.9 are considered overweight. Uh, and uh, the Brewers, pretty much entire roster were eligible for the COVID vaccine because they're all considered overweight, including the entire starting rotation of Brandon Woodruff, <laughs> Corbin Burns, uh, Adrian Hauser, Brett Anderson, and Freddie Peralta. That also Freddie includes, Peralta was considered yes, overweight. Yes. <laughs> that also <laughs> that also consider that also considers Lorenzo Cain, uh, as well as considered overweight Colton Wong, uh, Keston Hira. It, it includes everybody on the entire Brewers roster except for Josh Hader, Justin Topa, Eric Yardley, and Christian Yelich. Really, um, Topa? Yeah. I mean, Topa's not fat or anything, but right, not as skinny. Yeah, I, yeah. I had to laugh when I saw that. Even Brent Suter was considered <laughs> overweight. Like, what, 6'5", 215 or something? Right. right. And uh, the, the article continued on about uh, coming across the, the Packers, which include Aaron Rodgers, Mason Crosby, Devontae Adams, and Aaron Jones, all as overweight as well. <laughs> uh, so, again, <laughs> brief tangent, but uh, I had to bring that up because I thought that was funny. And yeah, it's funny that BMI well, if, is so, if those guys yeah. are overweight, then what is Daniel Vogelbach? <laughs> off the charts yeah <laughs> yeah he must be um yes. I don't even know if obese is the right word to uh to describe him if they consider Colton Wong overweight <laughs> <laughs> there we go 2021 healthcare BMI so we're still using BMI uh yeah, I so don't, I don't get that everyone on the Brewers is overweight but uh just uh slightly shifting gears here to uh the Brewers outfield including Christian Yelich who is not overweight uh, as opposed to Kane, who is, as well as the newcomer Jackie Bradley Jr. and uh, returning Avisail Garcia. 
Uh, Garcia, of course, had a little bit of a disappointing year last year, uh, looking for a bounce back year. Uh, but the real question in the outfield, I think, is what kind of year can we expect from Christian Yelich after uh, breakout, or maybe not breakout year in 2019, but, you know, a great year in 2019. And then, of course, his uh, lackluster 2020. I think pretty much everyone inside the industry is expecting Yelich to bounce back and pretty much bounce back all the way. He had a really high strikeout rate last year, but uh, his his contact was still hard contact, uh, really actually among the best in the major leagues, even better than some of his previous years. He still had a high home run total. He walked a lot. I think that uh, his walk rate will probably go down a little bit, but his strikeout rate will also go down. I think he'll be more going back to the Christian Yelich that we're used to and not 205 batting average, 30% strikeout rate Christian Yelich, uh, who really seemed more like Chris Carter than Christian Yelich. Uh, I think I, I think that, yeah, pretty much, I, I haven't really actually seen someone who doesn't think that Yelich will bounce back. He's very driven, and he knows that he had a down year. He knows that he wants to go back to being himself, and I have every reason to believe that Yelich will do that. I think he'll go back to being an MVP candidate um, in his own right, even um, even as there are a lot of young guys coming up. I think that I think that Yelich is still still one of the best players in the National League. How about Avisail Garcia, who also had a disappointing year last year? Uh, how do you see his playing time fitting in with four solid outfielders, and do you see him having a bounce back year? I think he will have to some degree a bounce back year. Also, he had a very poor offensive year. Uh, he did hit lefties really well last year, and he'll be doing that full-time this year still. Uh, they'll probably sit Jackie Bradley Jr. against lefties and have both Kane and Garcia play center and right then, uh, respectively, against left-handed pitching. Uh, right-handed pitching will be a little bit different. I think Jackie Bradley Jr. will play most of the time, but Garcia will slot in there some of the time. Uh, Kane will probably require a few more days off. He's been hampered by some injuries early on in spring training. And Jackie Bradley Jr. even had a, a few minor injuries he was dealing with leading up to even about a week ago. So Garcia could see some increased playing time as a result early on. It's also possible they'll be more cautious if they're playing in the cold because I know uh, injuries are more likely to happen or be aggravated when they are playing in cold weather in places outside of Milwaukee where there's, of course, the roof at the ballpark. Um, so I think that that's also possible. It might ease them in, especially with Kane opting out of last year. Uh, I, I think that Garcia will probably still get about 300, 350 at-bats. So still pretty good amount of playing time. Uh, that'd be playing probably about two out of every five games. Um, maybe three out of three out of five games. So, uh, of course, he'll be a pretty good replacement to step in if uh, one of them gets hurt also. Uh, so I do think there still is a role for Avisail Garcia. I do think he will bounce back. Uh, he also, going back just quickly to last year, he had to adjust to playing center field. He hadn't done that in his major league career on a regular basis. So he had to learn that a lot. Uh, and he really put in work to become an above average center fielder. But as a result, he wasn't able to put in as much work as a hitter. And I think as a result, his offensive numbers fell a little bit, but he doesn't have to do that this year. They've got two true center fielders on the roster. I don't really think we'll see Garcia play center field at all this year. Yeah, certainly two of the best uh, center field defensive uh, on the defensive side of things. So like you said, probably won't see Garcia there at all. Uh, and yeah, maybe we do see Garcia actually step up uh, pretty significantly 
uh, with a little bit more of a limited role, but more at-bats against lefties, less time worrying about defense. You could see those things combine into having a pretty good year with a few less at-bats than, than a typical starter would have. So uh, certainly excited for the Brewers' uh, outfield, which is one of their strengths as well. Um, but that's kind of a look of the Brewers' uh, roster as a whole. Uh, who is your pick for the last spot? We, we Again, the Brewers haven't officially finalized their roster. A couple of potential opportunities. Uh, Boxberger may make a, a potential uh, 26 man. And actually, before I even go into that, we've been talking about Justin Topa, but did not mention uh, the news. In case you had not heard, Justin Topa uh, is out for at least the first half of uh, 2021 um, after a right flexor strain. So uh, Topa was just throwing in a simulated game and unfortunately um, came out after some discomfort after an MRI. Um, looks like Topo will be out for the first half of the year, which is really unfortunate. Uh, two Tommy John surgeries, already 30 years old. Uh, so disheartening to see for Justin Topa, uh, regardless of what team he was on, but certainly as a Brewer fan, tough to see. Uh, certainly hoping that he'll be able to rehab and get back as soon as possible. But uh, just very briefly, uh, who would be your pick for the final opening day roster spot? I do think it'll go to Brad Boxberger. The other three options really at this point are outfielders. So if they do choose to go to with five outfielders, uh, they could choose to go with Billy McKinney, Derek Fisher, or Tyrone Taylor. But I think that Fisher probably wouldn't make too much of an impact on the ball club. He's got pretty good speed um, and some power, but hasn't really hit enough, I don't think, uh, in his playing time at the major league level. And then he's, he's been all right at AAA, but... I don't think he'll make it. He also had a slow camp uh, or got off to a slow start, had an injury that he was bogged down with. I don't think he will make the roster. Tyrone Taylor is a minor league option remaining. So I think that they'll choose to exercise that option and send him down to the alternate training site. Uh, I, even though he's had a really good spring, I don't think that they'll use him. And I don't think there's that much playing time for another outfielder. They've got four starting caliber outfielders. Daniel Robertson could play there. Uh, if they needed him to. So I don't think McKinney will get that spot either, uh, but they might try to trade him. I don't think you're going to get a lot of value for him, but maybe for cash considerations or something, because I think most ball clubs actually could use Billy McKinney. Uh, I do think they'll go with Boxberger for that eighth reliever, probably want an extra arm early on in the year, uh, especially coming off the shortened season, workloads were down could see an increased uh, injury rate. And early in the season, we usually see a, a higher injury rate. So they might ease him in a little bit more this year. I think having an eighth reliever like Brad Boxberger, who's maybe not the high octane uh, fastball guy like you usually have in the back of the bullpen, uh, still a steady veteran arm to plug in there in middle relief. I think he'd be a pretty good option to choose for the last spot. Yeah, certainly it, it seems as though the just strictly a position speaking, it seems like it would make more sense for the Brewers to add an extra arm than another outfielder with four solid outfielders and pitching depth likely uh, more of a necessity this year as well. But certainly that will be uh, seen shortly as opening day is arriving soon. Uh, do you want to just cover a little bit uh, briefly uh, just some spring training news that happened since our last episode? The Brewers did outright Ray Black to... Triple A Nashville or the alternate training site or 
wherever they outrighted him, I'm not sure. But they did take him off the roster, so he cleared waivers. Nobody claimed him, even with his 100-mile-an-hour fastball. Really hasn't succeeded at the major league level, and will have to earn his right to back onto a major league roster. So he will not make the opening day roster, but they still have him in the organization. They also split their exhibition series with the Rangers. Unfortunately, I was unable to watch either of the games, uh, but they did have full capacity, so um, 100% capacity is of course, very unique. Say what you will about it, but uh, I'm sure it was a fun environment for Brewers players, uh, and I'm sure they were protected on the field from potential risks of COVID from the fans. Uh, also starting on the injured list, now we, we basically know who will start on the injured list. Of course, we talked about the Topa news. Bobby Wall will start on the 15-day injured list. Uh, Mark Mathias and Tim Lopes both on the 60-day injured list. Lopes, I think, has a strained oblique uh, or something of that nature. Mathias towards labrum uh, towards the beginning of camp. And then Jacob Nottingham still recovering from the thumb injury. He is out of options, so I think they're also trying to take Nottingham slow so they can keep him as long as possible. They don't really want to lose Nottingham to another team, but at the same time, they, they don't really have a spot for Nottingham on the roster right now. So that's what they're looking like as far as the injured list goes. Um, and then we are going to look at the rest of the division. So of course we now know kind of how the Brewers look. What does their roster make up? Uh, how's their rotation, the bullpen? What does the offense look like? Especially compared to last year where they didn't have a very good offense. Um, but how does that compare to the Cardinals and the Cubs? Uh, the Reds made the playoffs too last year. Pirates are not very good. Um, I guess we can just get that out of the way. The Pirates are not going to contend really for uh, for anything of note in the NL Central this year, uh, other than maybe next year's number one overall pick. Uh, this year they do hold the number one overall pick, so maybe they'll draft Jack Leiter, who's thrown 16 consecutive no-hit innings, um, or Kumar Rocker, another great starting pitcher. Uh, but who knows? Pirates won't really be in the race. Probably will win somewhere between 50 and 60 games. Uh, and then look at a team like the Reds. And they've got some good talent, but they also have a lot of holes. They lost Trevor Bauer. They traded Rysel Iglesias for uh, Noe Ramirez, actually, who they then released. And then he re-signed with the Angels this spring. So basically just a salary dump for Rysel Iglesias. Didn't want to pay him. They've got Michael Lorenzen moving into the rotation, TJ Anton. Not sure how they're going to fare, even though they do have a pretty good solid, uh, pretty solid front end of the rotation, Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, even Tyler Molly, I think, will probably have a breakout year this year. Um, they've got an okay offense. They've struggled, though, to produce runs. They've got Moustakis, Joey Vado still there, of course, and uh, they have Nicholas Castellanos, Shogo Akiyama. And then at shortstop, they have their backup catcher, Kyle Farmer, projected to make the most number of plate appearances there. I, I really don't know why, but they just really chose not to bring in a shortstop this year. Uh, so, Last year, even, they were rolling out a, a rookie ball guy who had uh, been at the alternate training site for not long. I think I think he barely played an A-ball. His name was Jose Garcia. Uh, so I'm not sure who, the, who they're going to choose to roll out at shortstop, but they do have a number of holes there in the bullpen um, and even, even other places as far as the positional side goes. I think the Reds will probably finish fourth in the division uh, because of the holes that they have, even though they do have some high-end talent, uh, especially on the pitching side. Look at the Cubs, and they've got a similar roster to the Reds. They've got some high-end talent, and they've got a lot of holes. The They, they won the division last year, actually. Uh, I think they won about 35, 36 games, 
but they also kind of sold this offseason. They non-tendered Albert Elmore Jr., Kyle Schwarber, who weren't superstars, but solid players, uh, productive role players on the roster. And then, of course, mo more notably, they traded Yu Darvish. And that was a bigger loss. Of course, they decided to trade him. It was their uh, volition to trade him. They even included some salary. They got back Zach Davies, of course, former Brewer, but uh, coming off a good year, but he's no U Darvish. They have Davies at the top of the rotation, along with Kyle Hendricks, Jake Arrieta. They re-signed their former Cy Young Award winner, but just kind of a shell of himself at this point after a few just mediocre years in Philadelphia. Um, and then they've got Alec Mills, who no-hit the Brewers last year, also in their rotation. Overall, just okay. I think they actually... Uh, I saw that their average fastball velocity probably in their rotation will only be about 89 miles an hour, which is extremely low. They've got some pretty good arms, but I don't think they've got a great staff. And then they do have Contreras, Baez, Rizzo, and Bryant, uh, who actually all could be entering their last year with the Cubs. That'll be interesting to follow about potential extensions, but not really too much else. Ian Happ had a good year last year, but they're depending a lot on guys like Eric Sogard, Matt Duffy, Jake Marisnik um, to play at least somewhat meaningful roles. Uh, and they do have Jack Peterson and Jason Hayward also in the outfield, but I don't think they really have the talent that they once did. And I think also, even though maybe on paper, they might still be projected to be a decent team. I think when you take away some of the guys from a roster, it, also takes away some of the energy and the excitement around the team. Uh, I think like kind of like we saw that with the Red Sox last year. Of course, they had other issues with the pitching staff, but when you traded Betts and Price, even though they did still have Bogerts and Devers and some other good talent, they just weren't really successful uh, because you took a lot of the energy away from them. And I think we could see that with the Cubs this year. Uh, I do think that the division will come down to uh, really a two-team race uh, the, between the Cardinals and Brewers. It seems like pretty much all the national pundits are choosing the Cardinals. Uh, and I understand why. They brought in Nolan Arenado. Of course, they have Paul Goldschmidt, who's coming off an excellent year, even though he is getting a little bit up there in age, 34 years old already. Uh, and they have some solid other position players. Uh, Yadier Molina, of course, who's now entering his 18th year behind the plate with the Cardinals. Paul DeYoung is uh, still a solid everyday shortstop. Uh, they've got Tommy Edmond at second, uh, and they've got a, a at least a reasonably good pitching staff. They have um, Jack Flaherty at the top of the rotation. Adam Wainwright is coming off a very good year. I think he uh, might have uh, been up. I think he was at the top of the, the major leagues even in innings pitch last year at a 3-1-5 ERA, even though he is getting older. Wong Hyung Kim had a pretty good year. Dakota Hudson is still there. Uh, Miles Michaelis is kind of a wild card with the injury history. Uh, and even Daniel Ponce de Leon uh, could make some starts. I do think that their rotation is at least okay, uh, but I still would take the Brewers rotation over theirs probably. Uh, got a lot of wild cards. I think um, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get out of the Brewers rotation, but you're a little bit more certain than the Cardinals who are depending on a lot of guys like 38, 39 year old Adam Wainwright, Guang Hyung Kim, who has about 50 innings at the major league level, Miles Michaelis coming off of serious shoulder injury, Daniel Ponce de Leon, who hasn't really consistently had success at the major league level, uh, nor has Dakota Hudson over uh, an extended period of time. So that's a little bit more of a wild card uh, for them. And their bullpen in my opinion, is not that good. Andrew Miller and Jordan Hicks at the back end, but Miller's getting up there in age, not quite as good as he used to be. Carlos Martinez still there, um, and Giovanni Gallegos is pretty good, but they have a they have a pretty good bullpen, but 
I would still take the Brewers actually on them as well. Uh, so really with the Cardinals, I think their biggest hole is the outfield. They've got Harrison Bader, who excellent defender. He can run, but he can't hit. Dylan Carlson was horrible in his debut last year, and I think he will be better. But how much better? I'm not sure. Uh, he's kind of an unknown versus you have a little bit more of a known commodity with uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. and Abisayel Garcia just when you're comparing them. And um, and Tyler O'Neill's a big power guy. He's got decent speed in left field, but struggles to make contact. So they have a little bit more of a flawed outfield. Of course, there's a little bit of bias on my part. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the Cardinals, I think, are probably a little bit more flawed than most people think. They've got Arenado and Goldschmidt, two stars that the Brewers don't have. They, they have Yelich, but they don't have a, another star uh, like adding Arenado to their already uh, great star or already star of uh, Paul Goldschmidt. But I think they have more holes than the Brewers. And for that reason, I do think the Brewers actually are the best team in the division going in. Fangraphs projects the Brewers to win the division with 83 wins compared to the Cardinals' 80. Baseball Prospectus predicted the Brewers actually to win the division with 89 wins. Um, and I think they projected the Reds or the Cubs to finish second, uh, not even the Cardinals, which I would actually disagree with that. Um, but I do think the Cardinals have a little bit more of a flawed roster than many of the national pundits realize. Uh, I was even seeing on a, one of the New York uh, sports networks on Twitter, they had about 12 writers and 11 out of the 12 picked the Cardinals to win the division. And I almost think it's a little bit ignorant. They just see that they got Arenado and they're like, oh, they got Wainwright and Molina and Goldschmidt um, because the Brewers don't have the same names. They, they have Burns and Woodruff. They don't have Flaherty, who was a Cy Young candidate a few years ago. So um, it, it is going to be an interesting division. Definitely not the strongest division in baseball uh, or maybe even the weakest, but it will be interesting, especially, I think, coming down to the Brewers and Cardinals at the top of the division with maybe the Cubs and Reds following along if you look ahead into 2021. So there you have it. There's your NL Central preview. And, and I could just sit back and listen to that uh, for a few minutes there, but good stuff there. And I agree. I think the Brewers are being overlooked. Uh, 11 out of the 12 going to the Cardinals seems extraordinarily high given that you, I think you can make the case for the Cardinals, but uh, not, not the case to, uh, not, not, not a strong enough case to say that they're the clear favorite for the NL Central. I don't think that, I don't know that there is a clear favorite for the NL Central. Uh, I do think it will likely be the Brewers or Cardinals. And I think the Cubs will depend on that effect that you talked about, uh, whatever you want to call it, but the effect of selling, uh, how that impacts players' attitudes going into the year. Because they do have a, still a lot of star power. And, you know, maybe we see them uh, put some things together and some of those stars are able to produce. And even with free agency looming, even able to put up big years in hopes of getting a big contract, especially for a guy like Javi Baez. Uh, so certainly I, I, I wouldn't count the Cardinals, excuse me, count the Cubs out necessarily, but I, I do expect it to come down likely to the Brewers and Cardinals. Um, and I'm also excited that the Brewers uh, seem to be uh, very much in a place where they're, they're looking to win and willing to spend some money as well. So I wouldn't be too surprised uh, to see Stearns uh, hunting around a little bit at the deadline as well uh, to see if he can make the Brewers a little bit better, assuming that they are in a tight race at the time. So uh, before we head out here today, let's just do a quick rapid fire on the uh, our projections for the Brewers. Three major awards. David, who is your Brewers MVP, Cy Young, and Rookie of the Year? Christian Yelich, I'm going with the MVP. Uh, who is Yelich, your pick also for MVP? 
Yes, uh, got to go with Yelich. Like you said, I think we're all expecting a bounce back year. Cy Young, I'm going with Brandon Woodruff. Uh, that one's a little bit of a, a closer call, but I, I do think Woodruff will be. Yeah, I think Woodruff is a safer bet. I'm going to go with uh, Corbin Burns following up his great 2020 um, and continuing to have great success. So Corbin Burns is my pick for the Cy Young. And finally, who is your pick for the Brewers Rookie of the Year in the 2021 season? I'm going to go with Aaron Ashby, a little bit more of a dark horse candidate. Uh, the, he's not on the roster right now, and uh, I think he might make an impact with the big league club, even maybe by June uh, in the bullpen or maybe the rotation. I'm going with Aaron Ashby. Interesting. I'm going to go with uh, the safer bet, Drew Rasmussen, uh, who, like you said, I think will get some time early in the year to uh, continue to get his footing at the major league level. And we could see him move into that Josh Hader, Devin, Josh Hader, former Josh Hader, uh, De Devin Williams, uh, Freddie Peralta sort of role coming in high leverage situations. I think he could be a, a key piece, especially uh, now that Justin Topa's out, because I think Topa's uh, the expectation was for Topa to sort of take that role uh, this year. And I think that Rasmussen has the opportunity to take a, a big step forward this year. Um, and we'll see, because I think he will get the opportunity. So final question before we wrap things up here today, what is your final win prediction for the Brewers this year? My final win prediction for the Brewers is 86 games and the NL Central Championship. How about you? I'm going to go with 84 wins uh, for the Brewers. I, I do still think that 84, I, I think 84 has got a chance uh, to win the Central. Um, really, if you're above 500 this year in the Central, you've got a pretty good chance at winning the division. Um, and we'll certainly see uh, how things shake out this year. Yeah, so just looking ahead at the Twins series, just real quick, uh, it is a three-game series. They're playing uh, Thursday at 1.10 p.m., and that will be at American Family Field. The whole series will be, uh, they're going to have somewhere between 10 and 12,000 fans. I think as of now, there's still some tickets available for both Saturday and Sunday's games. Uh, the pitching matchup for Thursday's game is Brandon Woodruff versus Kenta Maeda, uh, one of the best pitchers in the American League last year. And they do have Friday as a rain date in case rain falls through the roof at American Family Field or something. It's it's standard, but they usually don't do it for a domed stadium. And then game two, we will see Corbin Burns and Jose Barrios. Pretty good uh, matchup of two younger and uh, pretty exciting younger arms. And then Adrian Hauser and Michael Pineda squaring off on Sunday, April 4th. That will be Easter. So a few good pitching matchups and Twins have an excellent lineup. I think one thing that we might see even right away is how will this new baseball affect um, games on an everyday basis? Twins are a huge home run hitting team, uh, and we might see it already playing into uh, into the outcomes of the games already as soon as this weekend. Uh, but either way, I'm excited for uh, for the Brewers as they take off as they take on the Twins this weekend uh, before going to. Uh, Chicago to play the Cubs next weekend. And we will have an episode to recap the first series, our usual weekend episode. Uh, so be sure to, to uh, stay tuned for that, especially since I, I would think that most of you probably will be excited to watch uh, pretty much the whole Brewers Twin series. Uh, I'm extremely excited, hoping to go to one of the games actually. And um, I can't wait. I'm so excited for the year. I feel like we're finally back to a pretty normal season again after last year. So uh, I'm excited. And uh, do you have any closing thoughts, Peter, before we go? Yeah, I just wanted to say uh, certainly excited. We are finally here. We've arrived at the opening day. 
this weekend and uh, opening series. Hopefully Brewers can play some good baseball, see some good pitching. Uh, excited to go to a game myself. Hopefully we can see uh, some of you all there this season. Uh, but no, I just, just excited to, to get going and, and hopefully we can see the Brewers hanging up the 2021 uh, NL Central banner at the end of the year. Well, that'll have it for today's uh, extremely long episode. I think this might be the <laughs> longest episode we've ever had. We had a lot to cover today um, and and enjoyed it because I think we're also excited for the season to come up. But thanks, as always, for listening. Uh, be sure to check out our, our blog. Uh, there's a few posts looking at players ahead for this year that I've written over the offseason. Jackie Bradley Jr., Adrian Hauser. What can we expect out of them? So that's at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com. Uh, and as always, uh, you can check us out at Brewers Podcast, especially on Twitter, new TikTok page, actually, that I posted a video with three bold predictions for the pitching staff. So if you haven't seen that, it's just a short one-minute video. Go check that out also. But thanks again for listening, and as always, go Brewers. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love if you would be willing to support our podcast financially. And you can find the link to do that down below in the episode notes through the Anchor app. Be sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com where you can find great articles and content there. And interact with us at Brewers Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks for listening and see you next week.